welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. I am truly glad that you are here joining with us in the beginning of this new series. Um, And in it, I hope that each and every one of your relationships goes to literally the next level that way. You see, if I were to tell you that there are three words that if you would use them, that I guarantee, guarantee that your relationships, each and every one of them would be better. What's the first question you wanna ask me? Like, right, what are the three words? Like, what are those words that way? They are please, sorry, and thanks. You say them once with me? Please, sorry, and thanks. Now, please don't hear that these are magic words that way. They're not. What they are, are their expressions of three, and these are the essentials, three relational attitudes. And if we get these right, that's what begins to build up our relationships. You see, these attitudes would include that of respect, of empathy, and of gratitude. Respect, that's the please. Empathy, that would be sorry. And then gratitude would be thanks. That's right. And each of these is actually rooted in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be a follower of Jesus to use these and to be benefited by them. What I would say, though, is that you do need to be a follower of Jesus if you're actually going to plumb the depths of them. You see, these, and the reason they're universal, that is, all people, all relationships, is because we are made in the image of God. And relationship with God will come right back to these three. One of the reasons that Jesus came, he said, in fact, you'd call it, this is my mission and coming, is so that we, you, I, everyone, would be able to have a relationship, a living relationship with God. So what we wanna do is take one of these words each week throughout the rest of this month, the last week of the month, we'll come together and we'll put them together and show how they actually magnify each other that way. Today, we'll start with please. That is, we wanna go with respect and begin with one of Jesus' most famous miracles. So if you have a Bible, I'm gonna ask if you would take it right now, if that's on your phone, if you've got it on your, in your lap there, turn to John chapter two, if you would, please. John two, verse number one, says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Canaan in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them up to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, 
everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, I think it's a little bit curious. In fact, maybe even a bit crazy that the thing that Jesus is most known for is turning water into wine. Not, I mean, he did all kinds of healing miracles, but what do people want to talk about? Water into wine. I mean, he resurrected from the dead. What do people want to talk about? But Jesus turned water into wine. It's also a little bit curious, isn't it? That the first way that Jesus displays his divinity, he reveals his glory, is this means of turning water into wine. So what I'd like to do from the passage we've got here, to utilize the time, I hope as best we can, I want to talk a little bit about what Jesus' gift was. I want to talk about Mary's wisdom. And then I want to make sure that we spend a little bit of time talking about this relational attitude that this passage wants to bring to us. I think we all know that the context of this story is a wedding that's taken place in Canaan. Canaan is a next-door neighbor to Nazareth, and Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. They're both really small communities. So in a small community, everybody knows everybody. Jesus probably did work for people that were there at this wedding. It's one of the reasons that Jesus had been invited to it. So the way the wedding worked at that time, there was the wedding ceremony proper, and then everybody would go over to the bridegroom's home, and there they would have a meal or a feasting time together. At the meal, there would be food of some sort, and there would be wine. That, of course, was the major drink of the day. To not provide a time together, you know, the meal and the wine, that would have been considered one of the greatest um, displays of disrespect that a person could do because hospitality was one of the very highest values of these people at this time. So everybody got over there and there was food and then there was, you know, and there was wine. But then something happened. And we don't know what happened. But the wine ran out. Now you could say, well, it was just poor planning. But there weren't that many people that were there. And something that was this important, that probably wasn't the issue. But having no wine to be able to serve with the food and the time of the people there, well, this is something that is going to literally ruin the wedding. Now, it takes a lot to ruin a wedding. I've been to a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. I've seen a lot of things go wrong in the wedding. But they weren't, like, ruined. There was the time that... Um, the bridegroom, so the groom, decided not to show up. He was there for the rehearsal, but he was a total no-show that day. That wedding was ruined. All right. Yeah, for, for sure. In this time, though, it would have almost been that equivalent. These people would forever be remembered by this mark of shame. That's why I said something happened. Either the wine was spilled, you know, something got broken, somehow it got defiled, it was stolen just to shame the people. Don't know what, but we know that there was a something that happened. And that brings us to Jesus' gift. And the thing about Jesus' gift was this, 
that Jesus not only met a need, but he exceeded it. Jesus is going to take these six water um, vessels, and if you take a look at these, I mean, if you get an opportunity to go over to the Holy Land sometime, these are huge. I mean, they're, they're about this big. They're made out of stone. They needed to be for the purification there. Filling these up to the brim, there was 180 gallons of wine. I just think about that. You break that down, that's somewhere around 900 bottles of wine. 3,000 servings, and so, you know, you go like, you know, this is like best wine ever, so what would that be worth? A bottle of wine, you say like, um, let's say $45 a bottle? That would be a $45,000 gift that Jesus is giving to them. Now, this is interesting. My news feed today, there came a, you know, a little article on premium wines, and I'm like, well, I just gotta check out the price. I guarantee you none of these premium wines you're getting for $45 a bottle that way. So the gift that Jesus gives, it exceeds what the need is. But we drill a little bit further into it. And we begin to see that what Jesus was doing was he was giving them a present for the present. He was giving them what they needed in that moment and he was giving to them what would bless them most in that moment. It wasn't all about the future, this was just about now. In fact, you could say that Jesus was giving them the gift of now. I just wanna pause for a second, encourage everybody to, again, open up your heart, open up yourself to the Spirit of God. As we think about the fact that God has given to all of us a gift of now. He's given to us something special that if we would, these people rejoicing in this best wine they ever had, the family like, you know, being saved, but they enjoyed that evening because of Jesus' gift. They enjoyed that gift of now that was given to them. But we, not always. Sometimes, I think it's just because busyness in our life, distraction that's going on, we can just like jump right over the gift of now. For me, I can get to the place, and truly call me crazy, I can be going on vacation, and rather than thinking about the vacation and, and how much fun we're gonna have there, I'm thinking about what I'm gonna do when I get back from vacation. I don't know if anybody else has ever done that before. It is not enjoying the gift of now, right? That's how you miss the gift of now. But when you just take a moment, again, Ask the Spirit of God, like, what has, what has he given to you now that you could, that you should be enjoying? If we are not, then we're missing out on this gift that Jesus wants to bless us with, and we're actually robbing our Lord of the joy that he could have by us doing so. Now you're like, what do you mean, guy? I mean this, that the giver of the gift is even more blessed than the receiver of it. Now, there's no doubt. These people, they were so grateful for this amazing wine that they were able to enjoy. In the book of Acts, we read these words. It's from Jesus himself. And Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Simple question. Were the people there receiving the wine, were they blessed that evening? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, like for sure. They were blessed. Well, as Jesus' own words said, then he was blessed even more to be able to do this, and again, 
with people that he knew. That kind of brings us up to then Mary's wisdom. Because Jesus' gift was a, was a product of that. I think Mary's wisdom begins with this. If you got a problem, go to Jesus. Mary became aware of this problem. The wine is gone. No more wine. And so she went to Jesus. And her wisdom is found in verse number five. And if you're looking at it there, these are words to highlight, you know, just kind of put a circle around. Mary says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Anybody here think that Mary knew what Jesus was gonna do? I mean, think that, oh yeah, I knew that you were gonna turn the water into wine. Mary had no idea that that was gonna happen. I mean, when Jesus told these servants, hey, I want you to go and I want you to fill these water vessels up, all six of them, fill them up to the brim, did those servants know why Jesus was having them do that? They didn't know why he was having them do it, but they, these words were going through their mind. Whatever he tells you, do it. So they're like, okay, well, they're going to get water and they're filling these things up. And then Jesus said, now dip your pitcher in it and go take it to the, you know, to the master of the feast. I'm sure these words are going through the mind. That is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. Whatever he tells you, do it. They took the picture, they went and they did it. And because they did what Jesus asked them to do, they were blessed. The people were blessed. In fact, remember this, that blessing is always preceded by obedience. There's this clear principle for us again today, right? I mean. The wisest thing we can do is to do what Jesus tells us to do. So if we think about it, like our current setting, Jesus would say to every one of us that are followers of his, I want you to be baptized with believer's baptism. You're like, why do you want me to do that, Jesus? But he didn't give you the why. He just said, I want you to be baptized with believer's baptism if you've received me. And we don't want to confuse that with infant baptism. It's after you've received him, Jesus said, this is how I want you to obey me and to display this. So the question, again, that we just ask ourselves is this. Once I know that Jesus wants me to be baptized with believer's baptism, have I done it? Have I done whatever he's told me to do? And maybe you have already. So many, you know, have. And if you haven't, I've used the QR code. I'd sign up right now and just do what Jesus tells you to do. But if we open ourselves up again to the Spirit of God, in this moment, and ask ourselves, what do we know that Jesus wants us to do? Is it talk to my neighbor? Is it to mend a relationship? Is it an aspect of generosity? I mean, like, what do you know that Jesus wants you to do? And are you following that simple principle? Well, whatever he tells me to do, I'll do it. It sounds simple, right? but it's not simplistic. It's not always easy, but it's always what takes you where Jesus wants you to go and allows you to receive from Jesus what he wants us to do. The relationship aspect of the passage, if you have your Bible open again as you're looking at this, this is one I think it's easy to miss or it's easy to mistake. You look right back down at verse three. When Mary makes this statement to Jesus, they have no more wine. 
So what does Jesus say? Woman, why do you involve me? Mine hour has not yet come. How many are reading high respect into this, into this um, response that's going on there? In fact, it may make us feel just a little bit uncomfortable the way that Jesus is, is expressing this. If you look at the way it is literally written, it's the original language, it literally reads like this. When Mary says, no more wine, they're out of wine, it reads this. Jesus said, what to me? And what to you, woman? Me like, not my problem. Not your problem, woman. And it may be the term woman that kind of puts us on edge a little bit. Right? Because like, if after service, I'm out in the foyer, and we're talking, and I see, you know, my wife, Denise, she's across the way, and I want to introduce you to her, and I just go, woman, come here. <laughs> if she does come over there, <laughs> how about this? You're going to pick up your girlfriend at her house, and her parents are there, and uh, when you're ready to leave, you just look over and go like, Woman, let's go. <laughs> How about you, you know, dads in there just going like, uh, can, we, like can we talk about this for just a second? Or I think it, we should try this experiment right here. If you happen to be a um, you know, teenage young man and your mom um, is gonna take you to practice, well, what I want you to do when you're ready to go to practice is just you know, go up to your mom and say, woman, I'm ready to go to practice. And tell me about it. I want to know, or get it, you know, record it. I want to see what's going to happen, right? Because that's, I mean, we're, when we hear woman, it's like, you know, like, uh, not so at this time with Jesus. In fact, the term, as it's used here, it really would best be read, dear lady, or ma'am, as in, like, Yes, ma'am. Incredible term of respect. In fact, there's actually an intimacy to this term. John lets us know a little bit more about it. We get a real insight into Jesus' relationship with Mary. Actually, in John 19, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and our Lord is hanging on the cross, there are five people in front of him. One man, four women. One man is the Apostle John. He's the one that wrote this down. One of the women there was Mary, his mother. And look at these words. When Jesus saw his mother there, he's on the cross. The disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's the apostle John, he said to her, he says to Mary, woman. Same word. He said, here's your son. And to that disciple, here's your mother. And from that time, the disciple took her into his home. At this time, when Jesus was literally suffering for the sins of the world, he took this time to make sure that his mother was being cared for and putting that future out in front of her that way. There's so much respect. And in fact, once you understand this, you come to this and go like, well, Mary, it was in deep respect that she makes this request known to Jesus. That is, you know, Jesus, they have no more wine here. And whether she used that word please that night or with body language, you know, eyes and hands, like they have no more wine. 
I mean, everybody knew what that meant. She's like, they have no more wine, Jesus. And because of her respect, and Jesus treating her with equal respect. That's why she said to the servants what she did. It wasn't like, you know, they have no more wine. Woman, what are you talking to me for? A servants do whatever he says, right? I mean, that was not what was happening at all. But Jesus had opened himself up, which is why she went to the servant and said, <laughs> like, I don't know what he's gonna do, but whatever he tells you, do it. So, there's a request that I wanna make of all of us. And that is, this week, would you please, will you express and demonstrate respect to those around you, to the relationships, all that you interact with, work, home, etc., by using please. Please. Would you do that? This past week, Denise let me know that, um, you know, she, her ask was, um, could you help me by getting snow tires, you know, on my car now? Obviously, this past week, right? Now, once you've been married for 44 years, do you think you even need to use please anymore? Right, I mean, you've been married for 44 years. Like, aren't you past that? But she did. I mean, she said, guy, would you please help me by getting snow tires on my car? And I'll just tell you, when she said that, my heart turned toward her. Now, you might think, like, why do I need to say please to my kids, right? Because they're my kids. They're supposed to do what I tell them. Sometimes we think the same thing with, like, employees. Like, I don't, I, I don't need to say please to my employees because I'm paying them. They just need to do what I'm told, you know, what I tell them to do. To a neighbor, I mean, like, I don't know you that well. We get all these reasons for some reason that we don't want to use please or to demonstrate that respect. And sometimes you just think about like, why? Why is it so hard for us at times to use please? I think sometimes it's because we just feel entitled. Husband, wife, I mean, it's like, I don't need to say please to you. Sometimes it may be because we're lazy. Sometimes it's just pride in us. And I think sometimes there's either a passive or even an active disrespect that's actually going on, that we won't use that. Jesus, all throughout his ministry, so we say, Jesus, all throughout his lifetime, he treated people with respect. You just gotta think about that, because he's the one that was worthy of all respect, but the one worthy of all respect, he's treating other people with respect, even people that weren't respectful to him. And if Jesus did this, I mean, it shows like this rooting in relationship, and if people are gonna have a relationship with God, respect becomes so important. I, want to, I just wanna push onto that a little bit. When we want people around us that don't know Jesus, they're not followers of Jesus yet, to know the blessing that would come with eternal life and forgiveness and relationship with God. Do you know respect is gonna become one of the most important things that we can do? In fact, look at these words from Colossians. 
Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. In other words, those that are not yet followers of Jesus. Make the most of every opportunity. It's so important. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. When you are in a conversation, maybe a very active conversation, with somebody that you disagree with politically, Maybe you're in a conversation and um, people have a difference of faith. Could be that you know, you're in this conversation and it's about sexual orientation and you just strongly disagree with this other person that way. The question is, do you do that with respect? Because it is certainly not the tenor or tone of what we see going on all around us. Right? We, live, we live in a time right now in which disrespect seems to be the way to go. We don't have to agree with somebody to respect them. In fact, with people that you do disagree with, showing them respect doesn't mean that you're, that you're agreeing, but it, it is showing them that they are of value to you. Let's call ourselves up to the way Jesus acted and be more like him in this way. In fact, here's something that will, you can use it as a goal or a game. How many out there love, like goals? You're just goal setters. You love goals. Yeah, not many. Okay, how many are like it? But I do like a game. Yeah, I'm good with the game. How about you like games that you can win? All right, at, most of us like games that we can win. So here's, here's a goal, if you want to take it, or a game that you can win. It's one, two, three. Here's what I mean by that. One, one day, two, two relationships, three, thanks. Each day, in two relationships, make sure I said thanks, I meant to say please. One day, two relationships, that you're gonna make sure you say please. And you're like, but if you get three pleases there, guy, right? I think the third one ought to be reserved for Jesus. And if you always have this please or you're asked for Jesus, it's going to help you in the others. But if you will do this, remember I said I guarantee your relationships are going to move in the right direction, that they're going to improve. I'm on day, today I'm on day 13. Now it's an advantage, right? Because when, you, you know, when you're writing and thinking about these things, but I just want to try to put it in practice in my life. I'm doing this one, two, three. And like, I'm, I'm just loving winning at this game. You know, I'm, just, I, I, I'm writing down some of these things that are going on and I just watch what happens through the power of respect and the expression that comes with please. So to make sure that we are not just hearers of the word, right? James in the Bible warns us about that. Be doers, not just hearers, lest you become self-deceived. Some of the doing that I hope that you're going to do this week, your takeaways. First will be around the gift of now. Will you make sure that you just take a moment and ask, this is a great discussion question in, in small groups or at home, but like, what is it now that God has given to you to bless you that you could enjoy right now if you just took the time to? Enjoy the gift of now. Second, let's make sure that we're following the wisdom of Mary, which is whatever he tells you, say it, do it. 
right? Let's do what it is that the Spirit of God is showing us. Just what Jesus has said. And then, let's take this first of these relational, these essentials, attitudinal choice, respect, through please. And each day this week, make sure that we're doing one, two, and three. Will you do that? And watch the difference that God wants to do in our lives and working that way. I want to bring us into a time as we wrap up of communion. Communion, as we think about the cup and this passage we started with today. Jesus' words to Mary when he did this first miracle was, my hour has not yet come. But three years later, Jesus is going to speak these words and he's going to say them the night that he's betrayed and arrested and taken to be crucified. Jesus looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. The hour would be the time that Jesus is going to become the sin sacrifice of the world. This hour is the time in which Jesus is going to do what is necessary so that each of us who have broken relationship with God because of sin can have a relationship with God restored, can have life and forgiveness. And when Jesus started with this cup, it's like this was the beginning with his disciples. He then had another cup for him that night that he said these words, mine hour has come. And if you have yours, I'm gonna ask you to just take it right now. And if you would, please, if you'll open up the one side and take out the bread. When Jesus said these words, mine hour has come, the night he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, those that he loved, and he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Whenever you eat this, would you remember me? Let's eat together. as we open up the cup. Talk about the best ever. After supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, Jesus said, this cup, it will be the new testament in my blood for you. And before we drink this, Friend, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior, what you hold in your hand is a symbol of what he did for you. Drinking it will not make you a child of God. Drinking it will not forgive you your sins. But trusting the one who shed this blood, and this is symbolic of, and saying, Jesus, I need that forgiveness in my life, that simple prayer, bring you back into a relationship with God and bring you forgiveness and life, which is what Jesus wants for you.
And to everyone that has done so, Jesus said, now, whenever you drink it, remember me. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,